Hello, you have found the Braves Craze podcast. Today is Wednesday, March 25th, 2020, and welcome to the podcast. Uh, as always, if you would, please subscribe to this podcast, the Braves Craze podcast. It's your favorite podcasting platform. Uh, and also, if you can, give me a follow on Twitter at Dr. Braves. The D and the B are capitalized in that Twitter handle. So today, we're going to talk about and recap spring training to some level. But first, I did want to talk about the baseball stoppage and the situation we have uh, obviously going on. And that is the, the pandemic, the coronavirus pandemic. And, and there's no baseball. Uh, for that matter, there's no basketball, no football, uh, really not anything going on in the sports world. And it's kind of bigger than that right now, certainly. And uh, we do not know when we'll have baseball live again. Uh, for those Braves junkies like myself, you can rewatch some 2019 uh, episodes and airings, re-airings on Fox, Fox Sports Net. Uh, but at this point in time, uh, we do not know when we'll have any live baseball going forth. Uh, not long ago, everybody was sent home from spring training from Florida, uh, and you're seeing some of the Braves guys on Twitter doing some family things now, hanging out, trying to stay sharp in case there is a, a break and we can get to go back to our normal activities and, and play baseball. Uh, you know, initially we talked about and heard some April and May ideas for, for maybe starting the games and starting the season, but right now we just don't know if and when there'll be baseball. Uh, but I think, you know, at the, at the interest of safety for the players, for the fans, for everyone, MLB made the right choice to postpone or at least uh, postpone and wait and see at this point in time to see when we're going to have Baseball. So until then, uh, we won't have any kind of live ball to talk about. Uh, I have not been with you a couple weeks on the podcast now because, frankly, I wasn't really sure what to talk about, uh, and was a little depressed over the season being kind of kind of stopped. So uh, I am going to talk today and, and kind of do some spring training highs and lows and recaps in the episode for everyone, if that's okay. So let's talk about spring training and who stood out. You know, who who made their case to be. Uh, on the roster, uh, and then we're going to talk about who did not, who kind of underwhelmed, and then we'll go over some of the prospects from spring and see how they did. So who stood out? Johan Camargo uh, stood out in spring training, I think. He, he came in, we heard everybody saying the best shape of his life kind of thing, and I, I do think he was in, in great shape and, and came in ready to play, uh, and he played well, performed well. He played third base for the most part all spring uh, when he did play. Uh, he hit well, he fielded well. He, he, he ran well, looked like a different guy, very excited about what Johan can do. And, and in all, almost every other case, I would have thought Johan would have been a shoe-in to have the third-base job. But my next guy to talk about, about who stood out was Austin Riley. Uh, Austin Riley also had a great spring, uh, had showed power, hit the ball well, made contact, played good defense. So uh, these two guys put up a great fight at third base. We do not know who won the job yet. Uh, and I've got an alternate suggestion about that coming forth when I talk about the positions that were up for grab. But uh, very proud of Austin and Johan both for what they did. Uh, it's no secret that Johan Camargo is a favorite of mine. I will tell you, so is Austin Riley. He's also a favorite of mine. And uh, I think highly of Austin Riley's future as a power hitter in the major leagues for the Braves. So going to be a tough decision uh, by the Braves management here to figure out which guy is going to get the third base job. But I think they both did enough to earn the job for sure in spring training, so I was very happy to see uh, them both play that well. Uh, moving on to pitching a little bit, uh, King Felix, Felix Hernandez, impressed multiple times out there. Uh, 
I believe Felix had 13 or 14 Ks and a little more than uh, a little more than a K in, in, in any pitch for the spring he had. His ERA was 198 for the spring. Had a batting average against a 260, which is not great. He gave some hits up, but he certainly got out of jams and and, and had a great ERA. So he did a great job. And uh, one would think Felix probably earned a job on this team. But then Kyle Wright was probably even more impressive in my mind in the spring. Uh, ERA was 203 with a little bit worse than Felix, not really anything to mention, but just a tad worse. Uh, 13 innings pitched, 15 Ks, and a 152 batting average against. So Kyle Wright was dominant in the spring as well. So these two guys, in my mind, both pitched great and made their case for a job on the roster. And then Sean Newcomb, who has sort of been thought to be maybe the odds-on favorite to win one of the two open spots, uh, the fourth or fifth spot also pitched pretty well, but certainly not to the level of Felix and Kyle Wright. So the interesting thing now is uh, whenever we start playing again, we're probably only going to have one spot because my guess is Cole Hamels will be well by that point in time. And maybe Felix, Kyle Wright, and, and Newcomb are fighting for one spot. And if that's the case, what do the Braves do there? So that's a good question. Uh, not really sure what's going to happen there. But certainly, that's a good problem with three guys pitching so strongly, in particular two, but really three in the spring, pitching that well from the starting rotation area. Also got some good outings out of uh, Max Freed. He started off kind of rough, but had a good late late outing in the spring as well. So Max looks ready to go also in there, so that's a good thing. Uh, A couple other guys I want to mention that had great springs. Ozzie Albies. Uh, Ozzie came on late in the spring with a lot of hits. Uh, didn't show a ton of power at this point, but it hit the ball well, made contact, uh, played well. Uh, he looks just fine. Uh, a surprise was Peter O'Brien, uh, a minor league free agent we signed, uh, who, who was a prospect back in the day, I believe, for the Marlins. Uh, he hit four home runs in spring and, and kind of limited playing time, so he was he was hitting uh, for a lot of power. That was his thing as a prospect was power, so uh, I would suspect Peter O'Brien is a guy that we might can keep somewhere. I don't know his necessarily his minor league options without looking it up, but but he did enough, I think, to keep himself in the mix for the Braves, maybe in a backup first baseman role kind of thing. Uh, love what he brought, right-handed bat, big, strong, light tower power guy. Uh, hits the ball a long, long way. The other guy that really impressed me, and he's not going to make the team yet, he's not quite ready, but Shea Langoliers, uh, the young catcher of the Braves, drafted first overall in the first round last year, uh, played well, uh, hit the ball well. He's got a gun for an arm, a cannon for an arm. Uh, he looks like, to me, the catcher of the future, and no disrespect to William Contreras, who also like a lot in the Braves minor league system, but Langoliers looked tremendous in the spring when he got to play as well. And he did play more than, than Contreras did at this point in time in the spring, so... Not sure what that says for the Braves' management, but they certainly uh, put him out there, and he did a nice, nice job in the spring training mode for the Braves. Uh, so that's who I think impressed. Uh, who struggled? Who, who didn't play well? Unfortunately, Ronald Acuna uh, did not hit very well in the spring. Uh, you know, you normally wouldn't worry about Ronald Acuna. I don't think I really am worried about Ronald at this point in time, but he was kind of flailing and swinging a lot of first pitches and didn't look right. Uh, and, you know, Ronald went through some ups and downs last year. Uh, you know, he, he got hot for a while and can just carry it, and then he kind of got off for a little bit and, and didn't hit the ball as well. So we got to get Ronald right, but I, I don't think that's going to be a huge problem. Ronald is a super talent. Uh, I think he's working hard. He'll be ready to go when they do get back out there, whenever that may be. So Ronald did struggle. 
uh, in the spring. And the other guy that concerns concerns me that I was a little concerned about to begin with is Marcelo Zuna. He also struggled in the spring. Uh, you know, the Braves got him in a good deal. They got him for one year. They got him, I wouldn't say cheap, but that was a cheap contract for them getting the one-year deal for Marcel and, and not committing past that. So in a sense, Marcel sort of bet on himself to have a big year for the Braves, and then he'll be able to get paid somewhere else or from the Braves next year uh, if they if they so choose to do that, if, if he plays well. But Marcel is a guy that I'm just not so sure is going to be what they thought he was going to be when they got him. Uh, you know, it reminds me a lot of a guy that we had a few years ago that we couldn't wait to get rid of, and that's Matt Kemp. Uh, I hope I'm wrong about this, and, and I, I'm not anti-Marcel Ozuna, but, you know, Matt Kemp came in and was a little past his prime, uh, a bigger outfielder who was stronger. Uh, Matt was a little overweight. I'm not suggesting Marcel's overweight, but he's a big guy who's kind of gotten a bit stronger and bigger over the years, and his defense has kind of been down. When you remember, Matt Kemp was a center fielder, as was Ozuna. Uh, they're both free swingers, so I just really hope Marcelo Ozuna goes back to the, the Ozuna on the Marlins and not the one on the Cardinals from last year, but he did not look good in spring, and I'm a little worried about Marcelo Ozuna's numbers he puts up this year and how he performs for the Braves going forth. And I said that before. I mean, it's nothing new for me to say this, but I, I do hope Marcel uh, gets right, gets straightened out, and, and can start hitting the ball the way he did in Florida and not last year with the Cardinals. I uh, also want to talk about some other prospects, some of our bigger guys, maybe some guys that impressed from the minor league level that play uh, in spring training. Uh, Bryce Ball, he already has been, has been sent out to AAA or the minor league camp, maybe, maybe been lower than that. But Bryce Ball is a huge first base left-handed hitting prospect who hit the ball uh, a long, long way in spring training. In a couple games, I know he had one homer, if not two. Uh, the ball looked, seemed to make a different noise and jump off his bat. Uh, he was imposing at the plate. So I think Bryce Ball is a guy that kind of came out of nowhere that's not going to be a prospect for us and, and, you know, got a little Freddie Freeman in him, a big guy, uh, maybe a different swing, but certainly a guy that I want to see where he goes uh, after this season and, and kind of where how, how fast Bryce's track is to the majors. I've already mentioned Shea Langoliers. Uh, I won't talk about him again, but very impressive. Uh, Grayson Jenitsa, who's a big, strong outfielder as well that's been uh, – I think he was in double-A last year at Mississippi for a while. He's got a lot of pop, uh, had a home run, uh, I believe two home runs in spring training this year. Uh, again, he's pretty raw, got some work to do, not quite there yet, but the upside of the power-hitting outfielder there might be pretty good. Uh, Philip Pfeiffer, left-handed relief pitcher, who's already 27 years old, actually, so he's not that young of a kid. Uh, but he's a guy that you could see in Atlanta this year. Uh, got good stuff from the left side, can be a, a, a specialist, although now he's got to pitch – Three batters, I know, but uh, a guy that come in late in the game and give you some good good work, I think, and I look to see Phillip at some point in time in Atlanta uh, soon. Uh, Trey Harris, who was the Braves' minor league player of the year, spent most of the year at Double A last year, uh, played some in, in spring training. Didn't didn't necessarily set the world on fire, but there's some tools there. Uh, the guy can play many positions. Uh, he's got a good bat. Uh, I like Trey Harris a lot. I think he could be a pretty good player. Uh, in the mold of a, and I've heard this said before, but in the utility kind of mold, different things for us going forth. It has a bat that can actually help you uh, from there as well. I uh, want to mention Pache and Waters, Christian Pache and Drew Waters, the Braves' top two hitting prospects. Uh, Drew Waters kind of struggled in the spring. I mean, you can, you can see the tools for sure. They're there. Uh, he did not have a good spring. And, and Christian Pache uh, was up and down, but in the end of the spring with a few hits, so it looked a little bit better than Drew did. 
But these two guys I'm still real high on. I don't expect either guy to be on the roster this year, at least not the first part of the year, maybe late in the year. But, uh, you know, th these guys are the future, and, and they did not overly impress in the spring, but you saw tools, you saw raw ability from both guys, and that's a good thing. So uh, I do want to address the open positions now for the Braves. We have third base job up for grabs starting rotation, uh, and then I'm going to talk about the outfield before we shut down for this podcast as well. Let's discuss third base first. So we talked about uh, Austin Riley and Yohan Camargo both having great springs, and they're competing for a job. Uh, what do you do now? You got two guys. This is a good problem. I mean, it was kind of assumed in the start of the season that, that, that if uh, Camargo played well, he'd start at third base. Austin would go to Triple A, play for a while, then come back up and pass the torch and make Johan the utility guy or something similar to that. Uh, you know, do you give Austin Riley the job now? And then what do you do with Camargo if you do? I don't think Camargo can go to Triple A. Uh, he's got to make the roster as a utility guy and to play, get him at bat somehow if you do give Austin the third base job. So uh, it's a good question. I think either way, there's a good case for it. Here's what I would do. I'm going to address the outfield spot and this to begin with. I think putting Johan Camargo at third base, who to me is the better defensive player of anybody on our team. Austin Riley is a good third baseman as well, and I think will be a strong glove long term. But give a, I think you give Johan Camargo the job day one. I think you put Austin Riley in the outfield. I, I really do. Uh, I, I'm not intrigued by having uh, Ender Enciarte start for us this year at all. I don't think that's a good option. Uh, I, I think putting Acuna back in center uh, – Letting Riley play right and having uh, Marcelo Zuna in left to me would be the ideal situation uh, to have. And that, that does kind of get Marquecas, uh, Nciarte, and uh, Adam Duvall in a bind out there. Uh, I made the comment on another podcast that I thought our next best outfielder was Adam Duvall, that being better than, than Marquecas and Nciarte. Uh, I, still, I still believe that. The problem is you've got, you've got all righties now in the outfield, and Duvall also is a righty. Uh, so the two lefties are Marquecas and Enciarte, so you've got to keep one of those guys, I think, for sure. But I think having Riley play left field to start the season, uh, at least in a platoon role where he plays against uh, some players, and I would say more than more than just lefties, he plays, you know, four days out of seven or so in, 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 in right field. I said left and right field. Uh, get him those at-bats he needs. Uh, you mix in one of the lefties in there sometimes against right-handed pitchers that are tough and you move on because I believe that's your best offensive lineup if Austin Riley is playing the way he's played this spring and the way he played last year. Think back to last year when the Braves were at their best. Austin Riley was playing left field and he was mashing the ball. And if we get that back uh, the way it was, Austin Riley needs to play on this team. Uh, you know, would going to AAA benefit him? I don't know, maybe, but he needs to see that major league pitching consistently now and learn to hit that. And all the, the talk about him uh, and the adjustments he's made in the offseason – there's a video of him and Paul Bird uh, floating around Twitter showing some of those adjustments, so I think that's a good thing to look at. But Austin seems to have figured a lot of things out and looks like a, a really strong candidate to be a good major league player this year. So I, I propose giving Camargo the third base job now, putting Riley in left field now. That gives you options. You can mix and match some. If, if Riley goes to third occasionally, then you can do that. Uh, you can move Camargo around to sub folks and put Riley on third and an outfielder out there. So I uh, I think that's a, a good way to look at things, but who knows what the Braves and Brian Snicker will do at this point in time. Uh, the last thing I want to discuss is that rotation and who would I give that spot to. 
uh, we're going to now talk still as if there are two spots. So we're going to talk as if there's a fourth and fifth spot, meaning Cole Hamels is not ready just yet. We all know that by the time there is baseball, Cole Hamels may very well be ready. But if there were two spots out there, uh, I think those two spots go to me. And I'll say this. I think Kyle Wright's got one of them. I would give Kyle Wright a spot. Kyle Wright's the future. Uh, I think it's time for him to come up and take the next step. And I would not block Kyle Wright with King Felix or with uh, Sean Newcomb. Uh, I'm torn on the other spot, but I would tend to go with Wright and Newcomb in the four and five spots. Uh, I love the Felix story. Uh, I think it's a, a good story, and maybe you keep Felix as a long man in the bullpen and some insurance out there. But, you know, giving him the rotation spot over over a Kyle Wright who looks like he could be dominant, uh, he could be our, our one, two, three starter possibly, depending on how he kind of rolls out there. The stuff is there. The command looks like it's there. Um, I was very, very impressed with Kyle in spring training. I would not want to stop that role right now. Uh, so I think he's got to get one of those spots in my mind. Um, you know, I would go Newcomb over Felix, but you can you can opt to put Felix in there, and then you have Newcomb back in the bullpen if you wanted to. Uh, that wouldn't be the worst decision in the world because you still keep Newcomb around. But I do think Sean's um, long-term stick to in the major leagues is as a starting pitcher, so I would get him back in that rotation. Now, let's just say that Hamels is ready and you have one spot. I still say it's Kyle Wright. I think he was the guy to me that, that pitched the best in spring. As good as Felix was, I think Kyle Wright was, was the best pitcher on the team in spring. Uh, he, was, he was out there making his move to get that spot, and I believe to me, if I'm making that choice, he did earn that spot. So hope you guys have enjoyed listening to the podcast today, a little bit about baseball itself, uh, trying to kind of forget about where we are in our society right now and knowing there's uh, pending problems to correct. Uh, I'll be back when there's news and when, when and if there is baseball. I'm confident there will be some baseball this year. I do not know when it will be. Uh, but all that being said, let's, the, the bigger issue is please everyone stay safe, stay inside, uh, practice as they say, social distancing. God bless. I'm praying for you all, praying for our country. Uh, have a great day. Thanks for listening. listening to the Braves Craze podcast. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and be sure to follow the Braves doctor on Twitter at Dr. Braves. So welcome back to the Braves Craze podcast. Uh, so in this second segment, I'm going to do something that I wanted to do since I started this podcast. Was just wait, waiting for the right time to do this, and I think now is certainly the right time. Uh, I noticed in some news recordings or news clippings this week, some things I read, that the Baseball Hall of Fame Veterans Committee has added Dale Murphy's name uh, 
uh, to the list of people they're going to review uh, to go into the Hall of Fame based on that uh, players, veterans committee, uh, since Dale has not been elected to the Hall of Fame uh, the traditional, conventional way. Uh, I'm going to do my rant about this. I've wanted to do this for a while. Let me first disclaim a couple things, though. Uh, I'm a homer. I'm a Dale Murphy fan. He is, if you've listened to this podcast at all, you know he's my all-time favorite Braves player. Uh, I grew up idolizing Dale Murphy in the late 70s and 80s, watching the Braves on Superstation TBS. Uh, and I know people have done some books. There's been a book written about Dale Murphy and, and the Hall of Fame and why he deserves to be in. I have not read that book. So all of these thoughts and things I'm going to tell you are my own original thoughts and not something I've read or taken from someone. Uh, I've had this discussion many times with friends and fellow Braves fans. So uh, what I tell you today certainly are, are going to be things that I have uh, looked up and, and, and formed my own thoughts, just to be clear about that. Uh, let's talk about Dale Murphy and who he is a second first. If some of the younger fans may not know Dale Murphy, uh, as well as, as some others would. Uh, Dale played in the late 70s and 1980s through, with the Atlanta Braves. Uh, he's from Portland, Oregon. Came up as a catcher uh, through the Braves minor league system, a touted catcher. Uh, Dale's a pretty big guy, 6'5". Playing weight was about 215 to 225 or so. Uh, and, and was called up to Atlanta in the late 70s to catch. And all of a sudden, Dale couldn't throw the ball to second base without getting it uh, wild and going in the outfield. So they had to move Dale around from catcher. Uh, Dale had never hit a ton in the minors, but he had the big frame and the swing to do so. Uh, and when he went from catching to first base was his next move. That worked out better, I guess, but uh, it wasn't really natural for him. So they tried Dale in the outfield, and Dale stuck in the outfield and became uh, a star with the Atlanta Braves. And when I say star, he was certainly – a superstar with that team. Now, remember the Braves in the in the 70s and 80s, particularly early on, were not all that great. Uh, they had some down years and struggled, and, and Dale was, you know, at that point in time, in my mind, the definition of what you would call the franchise uh, for a team, and certainly the Braves uh, were that team that he was the franchise for. Uh, you know, I, I question the Hall of Fame and, and what they do because, you know, we have some measuring sticks by the Hall of Fame, and I'll talk about this again in a second, but – you know, they look at things in a certain way, and I kind of question, did anybody that's making these decisions and voting with the Hall of Fame actually watch baseball in the 80s? Because we've heard the 80s was a down time for offense, and the 80s was not this, or there was not great players. That's a bunch of baloney. The 80s was a great time for baseball. Uh, I remember when that was true heroes played baseball. Uh, we had guys, I'm going to go through some nostalgia a second and be nostalgic, uh, guys like Wade Boggs, Tony Gwynn, and George Brett were just pure hitters who hit the baseball for high averages, uh, were a joy to watch play. Uh, George Brett was the guy that almost hit 400 and flirted with that for the Royals. He ended up the season that year at 390. Uh, was tremendous. Uh, those guys just hit the ball so well for average. Uh, George also had some power, played third base. You had great players like Mike Schmidt of the Phillies, who was arguably the best third baseman to ever play. Uh, Huge power hitter, great player. Uh, you had Reggie Jackson with the Yankees and, and those days, and Willie Randolph, uh, Ron Guidry, Louisiana Lightning, the pitcher. Uh, Nolan Ryan, you know, great, great pitcher over the years uh, through the majors with multiple teams. What uh, was a guy in the 80s we saw performing out there. Uh, the Montreal Expos were still around. Andre Dawson roamed center field with them. And the catcher, Gary Carter, they were, they were a tremendous couple of guys and talent there with – 
with that team. Uh, the Cubs had Ryan Sandberg, uh, who came up as a third baseman from the Phillies, got traded to the Cubs, became an icon for the Cubs, and sort of revolutionized the way second base was played, maybe with Bobby Gritch as well over in Anaheim, which was then the California Angels. So uh, they became a, a middle-of-the-order power-hitting second baseman for those two teams. Uh, then there's Ozzie Smith and the Cardinals. The Wizard of Oz, as he was called, you know, changed the way defense got played uh, for the Cardinals, uh, turning backflips in the infield, making acrobatic plays we had never seen before. Uh, and talking shortstops, we've got to talk about Cal Ripken a second. Uh, talk about changing the, the game. I mean, this guy was a, a number three, four hitter playing shortstop, which had never happened in the majors before. And he, he was a power hitter that, that uh, played the game so well. Also had that Ironman streak we know about. Uh, where he broke the record for that and, and, and was beloved by so many. Consequently, uh, Dale Murphy also had that Ironman streak for the Braves going on uh, at that same time. Uh, and I'll talk about that later on, about why that stopped. But uh, Dale was actually ahead of Cal Ripken on that for a while until he came out of a game that wasn't on Dale to do that. He, he was His manager chose to do that for him. But, uh, you know, Cal Ripken was beloved and changed the way the game was played for sure. So those are just a few of the names in the 80s that made the 80s so great. But I will tell you right now, Dale Murphy deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, and there's no question in my mind about that. Uh, let's talk about the Hall of Fame a second again now and kind of some reasons that Dale should be in the Hall of Fame. So I mentioned the Hall of Fame has milestones that they kind of make players meet to be voted in. One of those milestones is 400 home runs, Right. Uh, and that maybe kind of changed a little bit with the steroid era where those numbers got inflated, but initially the 400 home runs was kind of an automatic to get in. Uh, Dale Murphy's sitting on 398 career home runs. So honestly, I, I believe one of the reasons he's not in is those two home runs, which are ridiculous, uh, you know, caused him not to get in. Uh, the RBI totals are good. The batting average. Dale's, you know, the thing about Dale Murphy was for 10 years, 11, 12 years, he was the best hitter in my opinion, in the National League and maybe even in baseball. When Dale got in his early to mid-30s, mid-30s or so, he wasn't as good of a player. Uh, his body broke down him some. He did not uh, maintain the level of consistency he had when he was a little younger, and therefore his longevity was not quite where some players were. Uh, and that's one of the arguments of the Hall of Fame these days. Uh, the Hall of Fame rewards longevity and not greatness in my mind, and that's not across the board because certainly there are great, great players in the Hall of Fame. But if you can last 20 years and be pretty good, you got a good chance of meeting some of these milestones or some of these thresholds, so to speak, of the home runs, RBIs, batting average kind of thing, and getting the Hall of Fame, where a great player, such as Dale Murphy, who was great in his career, has been left out because of some of these milestones didn't get there. Uh, I think that's a crazy way to vote for the Hall of Fame, and we have had exceptions of that happen many, many times, which make no, makes no sense to me. But uh, they're sort of able to pick and choose who they believe get in and who doesn't because of that. And I think that's kind of shameful the way the hall works. But I, I do believe that Dale's track record, which we'll talk about more here in a second, speaks for itself. Uh, Dale Murphy was the MVP of the National League in 1982 and 1983 back-to-back. Uh, very few folks have ever won two MVPs, much less back-to-back. -back. That tells me Dale Murphy was the best player in the league those two years. And consequently, those, those were not his two best years as a hitter. He had two better years statistically a couple years later where he played even better than that and just didn't win the award, probably because the, Bra the Braves were not very good. But 82-83, Dale was back-to-back -back MVPs in the league. Uh, Dale won five gold gloves in the outfield. He made seven all-star games, 
I mentioned the two back-to-back MVPs. Uh, Dale's character, to me, is the best there's ever been in the game. Uh, you won't find a nicer guy that did more for uh, his family, the community, kids, the area, the town, uh, wherever he was, he was a model citizen, uh, was, was always kind to the media, kind to those around him. And to, to this day, Dale still does that. Uh, I got the chance as a kid. I wanted to meet Dale as a kid, obviously. I tried to get his autograph a couple times when I went to Braves games and wasn't able to because he was like Chipper Jones at that point in time. Everyone wanted to be around Dale and get something signed by Dale. But Dale came to Pearl, Mississippi, to the AA Stadium where I'm close to, and I got to come uh, get something signed by Dale that I wanted to get signed. I had a baseball that I got in 1982 or so at the Braves game and, and, and wanted to get Dale to sign that ball. And uh, he did that for me uh, about five years ago. And I got to chat with Dale. I have a picture where Dale hold, was holding my daughter, uh, who was about two at that point in time, one and a half, two, with me and my wife. And uh, he's such a kind, nice man. Uh, one of his campaigns now, he talks about being clean and using no steroids. And certainly I believe he was always clean in his career, and he campaigns for that. But my wife, I remember my wife telling me after that, she said, I've never seen a celebrity or an athlete as nice and as kind as he was. And that's who Dale Murphy was and who Dale is today. So, you know, I think the character part of that that's part of the Hall of Fame is something that, that he is exemplary in, and in my mind, the best that's ever done that uh, for the game of baseball as an ambassador. So, you know, that certainly lends itself to being uh, a reason Dale should be in. So let's talk about two more really important reasons I believe Dale Murphy belongs in the Hall of Fame. And let me say it again, Dale Murphy should be in the Hall of Fame, okay? Uh, Veterans Committee, please get it right. Please correct one of the biggest injustices and travesties of baseball in my mind for the Hall of Fame, and that is get Dale Murphy in this Hall of Fame. You know, I do believe the veterans know more about this and know more about the people that are voting than, than the ones voting now, so I do trust that they'll do a better job. But but get Dale in the Hall of Fame. Let, let's correct this wrong and make this right. Uh, I've done statistical searches in the past, and the stats used to be on MLB.com, but now they're harder to find. But if you do a search for the 80s and offensive stats, and that's 1980 to 89, Dale Murphy dominates the 80s. He dominates the 80s. Uh, home runs, RBIs, he's in the top two or three out there anywhere. I believe he leads in runs scored for the year of the 80s. Uh, his batting average was very high. Uh, Gold gloves left and right in those years for Dale. Uh, he, he was the best player in the National League, plain and simple, uh, on offense in particular. Uh, Dale also stole a lot of bases for a big man. He had a 30-30 season where he stole 30 bases, hit 30 home runs for a six foot five guy uh, who's a big guy with power. That was unheard of. Uh, Dale Murphy also, in my mind, was the first guy to ever start driving the ball to the off field for home runs. Uh, he, he, he was the best I'd ever saw, especially in the 80s, at doing that, uh, taking the pitch the other way where it was pitched and driving the ball. He was a right-handed batter to right field uh, and hitting the ball out of the park. He just could hit the ball where it was pitched better than anybody that we'd ever seen at that point in time and made that his calling card in the majors. Uh, and, you know, Dale, in my mind, opened up the door for others to do that and, and made that be the way you hit that right field, opposite field home run. So that's the other, the other thing Dale did uh, with that was, was, was make that right field home run become something that we had not seen. Uh, so I mentioned, you know, he, he basically dominated all the stats for the 80s, and he did. Uh, to me, that's what greatness is about. I'd rather have someone great for 10 years who might not have been quite as good the end of his career, 
than someone that was pretty good or okay or even good for 20 years. To me, greatness is the Hall of Fame, not longevity, and that's something I think we need to correct as well. Uh, the last thing I'll say about Dale Murphy that I, I would I would pick, this might be my top reason he belongs in the Hall of Fame. For those of you that, that knew baseball, that saw baseball, that watched baseball in the A's or know baseball now, ask yourself this question. If you're going to have a fantasy draft of the 1980s and pick yourself a team to win a game, someone tell me how Dale Murphy is not a top two or three pick, probably the number one pick in that draft, but he, he's a top two or three pick anywhere in that draft. He is the one guy you single out in the 80s that you want on your team to make a team win. There's no one better, and, and I can't – no one can really argue with me in my mind and win that argument and say that Dale Murphy's not one of the top guys off the board if you want to choose a team to win a game in the 80s. Uh, you know, I'm going to go through some scenarios, and when I say this, no, no disrespect to these guys I'm calling out that are in the Hall of Fame, but is anybody picking Ozzie Smith over Dale Murphy from the 80s? Anybody want Ozzie to make your team go than Dale? Uh, Ozzie was an acrobatic defensive wizard but frankly, was a bad hitter. He wasn't a very good hitter. Uh, Dale Murphy is a guy you on your team before Ozzie Smith. Anybody take it, taking Harold Baines over Dale Murphy, a DH from the AL who got in a few years back? Uh, the answer to that's got to be no. Uh, it's not going to happen. Anybody want Jack Morris, the pitcher, uh, over Dale Murphy, who was elected to the Hall of Fame a few years ago? Uh, nothing against Jack Morris, but, but he was a good pitcher, was never really great except maybe in the postseason a few times. Uh, Dale Murphy was a great, great player in the National League, and Dale deserves to be in. How about Burt Blylevin? You might want Burt over Dale Murphy. Again, Burt Blylevin was a long-standing pitcher, had a long career, and was very good. I don't know that Burt Blylevin was ever great. Dale Murphy was great. He was great. Uh, how about Alan Trammell? Very good shortstop for the Tigers. Got in a few years ago. Uh, I'm okay with Alan being in the Hall of Fame, but anybody taking Alan Trammell over Dale Murphy? I'll wait. I'll wait. No way. Dale Murphy is by far uh, the better player there. Uh, Jim Rice of the Red Sox got in. Jim Rice, very good player. Did a nice job. Played left field. Made a little DH for the Red Sox. Anybody want Jim over Dale? No. Not going to happen. Dale Murphy deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. I, I, I say this, and I plead with the Veterans Committee, make this right. Dale Murphy deserves to be in the Hall of Fame.